Welcome back to another College Hoops Mania show. I'm your host, Wes Troyer, and I'm back again today to discuss the greatest sport in the world. You're currently listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. But before I get into everything today and this week's content, I'd like to go over a few things. First of all, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, I ask that you would subscribe or follow to my podcast, as well as leave a rating or review. Uh, the more subscribers and ratings, reviews that I receive, it just leads to greater popularity for my podcast, which just gets it out there to the public more, which is what I'm trying to do here. Secondly, you can follow my social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram at chmpod. Both of those you can find me at that at that at chmpod. I tweet some throughout the week on Twitter, you know, some mid-game stuff and some post-game stuff, and I also post some final scores on Instagram with my takeaways on the game. The takeaways on the game kind of might give you a little preview of kind of what I'm going to talk about in this week's this week's podcast. It also allows you to kind of see my takes on games, kind of my perspective on what I see. I also allow fo- uh, my followers on Instagram to ask questions that I answer on my podcast each week. I also have a Patreon account now. If you guys don't know, a Patreon account is just kind of an account that you can receive donations on people can donate to you for you know whatever you're doing whatever you're trying to get donations from so in this case for me it's obviously this podcast you can find me on patreon by looking up college hoops mania or my name Wes Troyer on patreon so yeah you're able to donate on there which really helps my show out greatly and I'll use the money to improve my show on equipment you know better sound quality get better content out there etc any amount is greatly appreciated and I also understand if you're not able to donate to my show, that's totally understandable, and I understand that. But if you are somebody who may be uh, willing or able to donate, I'd greatly appreciate that. With that being said, let's get right into this week's show. So the first thing I want to talk about is on Saturday at 1230 on CBS, the NCAA Tournament Committee released its top 16 rankings, so that would be the top four seed lines of... Of if right now the NCAA tournament started, these would be the top four seeds in this year's NCAA tournament. This is something they kind of have started recently. They didn't do this for a while, but it's just kind of it's just a talking point, I guess. It, and it also kind of allows us to judge on where maybe the committee is thinking, where they're judging teams thus far into the season as we are approaching Selection Sunday. Because if you didn't know, four weeks from today. Uh, as I'm recording this on Sunday, February 14th, four weeks from today's Selection Sunday, and we'll have a bracket four weeks from right now as I'm talking, which is awesome to think about. Didn't have a bracket last year, obviously, so getting ready for this year, baby. Getting excited for it. So the tournament or the tournament committee, uh, the ranking, rankings were released, as I said, so the top seed line was and I'm going to name these in order in terms of one through four. So one was Gonzaga, two was Baylor, three was Michigan, four was Ohio State. So, I mean, not too much controversy there. I guess the main thing people maybe wondered would be, would Gonzaga be one, would Baylor be one? And I think most people would agree if both of these teams went out the rest of the year, Baylor may overtake them just with so many more quad one opportunities that they have that Gonzaga just doesn't have in the WCC. The two line, five was Illinois, six was Villanova, seven was Alabama, eight was Houston. People wondered if Houston would be on the two line, on the three line, how the committee would judge this team. They have the big one over Texas Tech and then on conference. They, they were playing in probably the weakest American conference that we've seen yet since this has been a conference. The three line. 
Starting at 9 was Virginia, 10 was West Virginia, 11 was Tennessee, and 12 was Oklahoma. Uh, probably the most surprising thing here was just seeing Oklahoma as a 3 seed. Not saying they didn't deserve that, but Joe Lenardi had them as a 5 seed before these rankings were released. Lenardi's not normally wrong by very much. And so Oklahoma being a 3 seed was interesting. And to close it out, close out the rankings, the 4 seeds, uh, 13 was Iowa. 14 was Texas Tech, 15 was Texas, and 16 was Missouri. So there really wasn't any uh, too much controversy from these rankings. Obviously, you can interchange some teams towards the bottom. You can maybe switch teams around in the rankings a little bit, some people might argue. But there really wasn't too much to argue about, too much to complain about. So that is where we're at with the top 16 teams. But obviously, that was before the games and the results of Saturday and Sunday. So you may say, how could... Uh, a team like Missouri still be in the top 16 after a loss. You know, how could... Uh, I'm trying to look at it. How would Villanova still be sixth in the country after a loss to Creighton? You know, why would maybe Creighton not be a top four sign? Again, this was before all the games on Saturday and Sunday. So, obviously things change fast. So, that was just their initial rankings. Uh, now getting into a little bit of the games that we saw this past week. The first game I want to talk about took place today, Sunday, and that was Michigan beating Wisconsin 67-59 to in Madison in what was just a second-half beatdown uh, from the Wolverines. This, uh, and you got to remember, this is Michigan's first game since January 22nd. Uh, with, with COVID this year, teams are going on pause, obviously, and it was a big gap. I believe it's 23, 22 days or something like that since Michigan's last game against Purdue, I believe it was. So, it obviously, it had been a while. You didn't know what to expect. And Michigan was down 12 at the half. They were down 14 at one point in the game. And then they went they went on to outscore Wisconsin 40-20 to 20 in the second half in what ended up being a super impressive road victory for Michigan in their first game back. Hunter Dickinson was an animal in this game. He had 11 points, 15 rebounds, 5 blocks. It was his career high for blocks. I believe it might have been for rebounds as well. I mean, he was just an animal, getting key second chances for the Wolverines. He was a guy that Wisconsin just couldn't handle. I mean, Reavers was on him at times. He's just too much for Reavers. He was too much for any big that Wisconsin had to offer. So he was terrific today. Livers was a big spark offensively for Michigan, especially in the first half. Uh, he ended up with 20 points on the game, but he was he was a big spark in the first half, and that was kind of a half where Michigan struggled a little bit more offensively, so he was a real bright spot, kept him in the game in the first half when Michigan wasn't playing their best basketball. But I would say the story uh, from this game was the resiliency and the effort that Michigan showed to win this game. They were a bit rusty offensively, and it wasn't that they were necessarily turning the ball over because they, really, they only had six turnovers, which is a terrific number to be at. But their shot making just wasn't at the same level. They, you know, they might not have been on the same page. They're, they might not have been in the game shape that they once were in. Just things like that from miss, from not playing for that long. You know, there's a lot of variables there. But the second half was just dominant defensively for Michigan and on the boards as well, which are two things you can you can really control. You know, you can't always control if shots are going to go down. Terrific three-point shooters don't shoot well every single night. Shooting's a variable that varies greatly. And and just offense in general is a lot that you really just can't control always. You can you can control maybe getting good shots, 
but you can't control necessarily making shots. Two things you can control is rebounding, effort, going for rebounds, crashing the offensive glass, boxing out hard to get the defensive rebound, and also just defense, you know, uh, getting over the screen, communicating, uh, not not losing your guy, staying in front of your guy, just help side defense, not overhelping, but helping at the same time, things like that. Just the effort level uh, is really something you can control that correlates to defense and rebounding. And Michigan did a great job in those two departments. And those two departments were, was why Michigan won this game. And in looking at this game, I think maybe the biggest takeaway is just how Michigan is just a team you can really, really trust. And I know if I'm going to be picking, you know, an upset in March on my tournament bracket or, you know, something like that, Michigan's going to be a team that's really going to be hard to say they're going to get upset. You know, they're going to, they're not going to make it to the second weekend. They're not going to make it to the lead eight. They're not going to make the final four. They're just a really trustworthy team. They didn't play their best basketball game today. But they still found a way to be a, beat a good Wisconsin team on the road. And you also got to remember, Michigan embarrassed this Wisconsin team the first time they played each other. Michigan was up 40-something at one point. They went on a 41-6 to run in that game. That was probably the game where people really, really woke up to this Michigan team and said, okay, this is a top-five basketball team in the country, undoubtedly. But things to like about Michigan, like I said, just those like defense and rebound like they showed today, the resiliency, the effort. But this Michigan team also doesn't rely on the three ball, which is something like relying on the three ball, it can allow you to be a terrific team. You know, you shoot amazing and you beat an amazing team. But it also can do the opposite effect where you are more... Uh, you're more likely to lose to a team worse than you or significantly worse than you. You're more likely uh, and you're more susceptible to an upset. And I, I just don't see Michigan as a team that's really susceptible to an upset in March just due to the fact that they don't rely on the three ball. They defend the heck out of the ball and they rebound really well. If, if you're going to make a knock on Michigan, I guess it's maybe that their point guard play isn't as elite as the other elite teams in this country. And there's there's nothing as Mark, or Mike Smith. Uh, he's done a great job, the Columbia transfer. He can score the ball. He can uh, he, he can score and make plays for others off of ball screens. Uh, he can shoot the ball. But I, he, he's a little turnover prone, prone at times. He averages almost three turnovers a game. He's not as good of a scorer as other point guards because, I mean, if you're comparing him to the other great teams in the country, like let's look at Gonzaga. Jalen Suggs versus Mike Smith. I, we all agree Jalen Suggs is by far the better player. Looking at Baylor, uh, whoever you want to say their point guard is, Jared Butler or Davion Mitchell, both of those guys are a lot better than Mike Smith. <sighs> Illinois, Dasunmu uh, doesn't necessarily always play point guard, but whoever they put on the ball, their, their, their point guard is probably better than Mike Smith. Again, you can say that for most teams. Again, Mike Smith's not a bad point guard, but he maybe isn't as elite as some of these other teams have, which it's, it hasn't shown to hurt Michigan yet. And I will say this, Michigan hasn't played Ohio State, they haven't played Iowa, and they haven't played Illinois. So the, the clear top four teams in the Big Ten, including themselves, them being a part of that top four, they haven't played the other three teams yet. So we'll, we'll wait to see what happens there. I'm not 
trying to say that Michigan, uh, there you don't need to be sus- or suspicious or kind of look down upon them just because they haven't played a great schedule. But w- w- let's wait and see what they do against those top Big Ten teams because they haven't had the opportunities to play those Big Ten teams. And, and with all the games they missed, I'm hoping the Big Ten with rescheduling reschedules uh, some of the big matchups. I forget which matchup it was. I want to say that they had their Illinois, they had their Illinois game canceled. I really hope that will get made up. We'll see about that. I hope the Big Ten does a good job scheduling there. But with this win, it puts Michigan at four and one in quad one games, eight and one in quad one and quad two games. Their lone loss right now is at Minnesota, a game where they got handled a little bit. But other than that, they have looked great in about every other game this year. The next major talking point I want to discuss is Creighton. We saw Creighton play a phenomenal game and dominate Villanova 86-70 in Omaha on Saturday. This was a game where they had some fans in there, and uh, based off what I heard, it just sounded like people said it was a really great atmosphere. And props to uh, Jay Wright. Jay Wright, obviously the coach of Villanova, and obviously being on the wrong end of the game, but he showed a lot of sportsmanship after this game as he went to Twitter after the game and and kind of just like he, he congratulated Creighton hold on I'm gonna pull up the tweet right here and he, this this is what Jay Wright said he said congrats to uh, coach McDermott and a talented well-coached Creighton team nice to have fans a good college basketball environment today so that's just a class act from Jay Wright I mean, obviously not happy with the result, but he still congratulated the winning team, and he was happy to have a good atmosphere because we haven't had a lot of those this college basketball season. There's a lot of teams having a lot of fans. So that was really classy from Jay Wright. But looking at Creighton, talk about an up-and-down team, but but they showed just how capable they are. They are as capable as any team in the country outside of Baylor and Gonzaga. I mean, when you're kind of talking about teams and declaring them as one of the best in the country at something, you're you're kind of doing that, excluding <laughs> Baylor and Gonzaga. Just kind of they're, they're in their own tier, and everyone agrees on that. So, I mean, Creighton is as capable as any team not named Baylor and Gonzaga. When this team's hot, boy, are they hot! They they shot 59% from the field on Saturday, 46% from three. They just have incredible spacing on their offense. I mean, they kind of they play a five-out offense for a lot of the time. Bishop sometimes far out one in with Bishop, but he can also play on the perimeter. I mean, Bishop Bishop moves the ball well. He cuts well. He screens well. He's not a guy who you give the ball and say go get a bucket, but he he scores his points by being in the right spots at the right times. But they they just have, they have great versatility on offense. Damian Jefferson. Uh, he's a guard, but he he rebounds terrifically for his size. I mean, he he's kind of like a forward at times. He can play with his back to the basket a little bit. Denzel Mahoney, great size, listed as a forward, but he has guard skills. He shoots it from the outside. He can really score on all three levels. But they also showed great defensive stuff as well on Saturday. They really locked down Gillespie and Robinson Earl, which are, are probably Villanova's best two players. They locked in on those guys and didn't give them a lot of clean looks. This is a Creighton team that going into the year was really talked down upon for their defense. Like the question marks surrounded their defense. They were 78th in the nation in defensive efficiency a year ago. This year, they're 42nd in Ken Palm. Like if you told uh, McDermott that they would be the 42nd most efficient defense in the country this year, he would take that any day of the week. Uh, they necessarily ha- they haven't been as consistent as they've needed to be on the offensive end. 
They were looked at as an elite offensive team, which they showed on Saturday how elite they can be. But consistent-wise, they necessarily haven't been that every night. This is a really weird Creighton team because they have more losses out to, outside the top two quadrants than in or than uh than inside the top two quadrants. They have three quad three losses. They have two losses between quad one and quad two. Those quad three losses are home losses to Marquette, Providence, and Georgetown. And they're really, really close to having four quad three losses. Another one of their quad two losses is a loss at Butler, who's ranked 133 in the net. And if they fall to 136 or lower, then that turns to a quad three loss. So Creighton's really close to having four quadrant three losses out of five losses on the season, which is just crazy. Are they the nation's most in, inconsistent team? Maybe. I think it's a, it's a big competition right now between Creighton and Tennessee. Tennessee, you guys, you guys know the story on Tennessee. I've talked about Tennessee a lot in this podcast. They're, they're, man, they are frustrating at times. But yeah, between Creighton and Tennessee, I don't know if anyone is in either of them have separated themselves as the nation's most inconsistent team, but they are sure competing for it right now. I, I would say a couple, like, obviously the inconsistency for Creighton is the main concern, but, and, and that's that's kind of due to relying too heavily on the three ball. They kind of live and die by that a little bit. And they also don't have uh, just a ton of depth. They play some guys off the bench, but not for many minutes. Four starters play over 30 minutes a game, and their fifth starter, Christian Bishop, still plays 23 minutes a game. So if they, if this team gets into foul trouble, if Zagorowski gets into foul trouble, I mean really any of the starters outside of maybe Christian Bishop, the other four guys, if any of those guys get into foul trouble, they could. it, it makes them susceptible to an upset in March. I was talking about Michigan, how I necessarily don't think they are. Creighton, despite this great win Saturday, I would definitely say is a team susceptible to an upset in March just due to the inconsistency. Any team that relies on the three-point ball is, 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 a, is a tough team to really judge on what you're going to get night tonight. Nonetheless, though, terrific win for Creighton on Saturday. This could maybe be a confidence boost. Maybe they start uh, treating every game like they're playing Villanova because we've seen this before where Creighton has had some big wins over Villanova. It's a couple years ago, I think, they beat Villanova uh, when they were number one in the country at home. They've, they've done it a couple other times before. Like They, they turn up for the big games, and, and that's a good, that's a great trait to have because when it comes to March, you know, you're going to have to turn up for the big games. But they need to they need to start playing consistent basketball and locking in every night. You you can't lose to Butler in Georgetown and, and even Marquette, who's just kind of falling apart here. Like you you can't lose to those teams. You might it might happen once in the season, but it three quadrant three losses, almost four quadrant three losses is is not where you want to be at for a team that you know is is trying to play for a a top four seed, a team that thinks they can go to the final four. To be honest with you. Next up, little Missouri Valley Conference talk. So this weekend was uh, Drake and Loyola playing each other twice. That's how the Missouri Valley Conference has been doing it this year. When you play a team, you play them twice at the same location back-to-back days. And so this Saturday and Sunday, Drake, uh, who was undefeated for a good portion this year, coming into this with one loss, and Loyola Chicago, who uh, had three losses coming into this, and was kind of looked at as the best team in the Missouri Valley Conference despite having a couple more losses than Drake. So big matchup, uh, and, and it was huge in determining if this can be a two-bid league two bid league or not. So 
in terms of the Missouri Valley Conference getting two bids, this weekend series probably couldn't have went any better. So Loyola dominated the first game 81-54. to It was a close game for a half, and defense ultimately won it for Loyola in the second half. And then today, Drake won an overtime game 51-50 to in round two. And I say it probably couldn't have won any perfect. So obviously splitting is kind of, it's big for them. Uh, if Drake would have lost this game, it probably would have put them out of the at-large conversation for an NCAA tournament bid. And, but but the the fashion it happened, so like Loyola dominating the first game allowed Loyola to stay high in the net, which allowed then on Sunday for Drake to play Loyola for a quadrant one opportunity again. And obviously they ended up winning that game, so they ended up splitting it. it it'll be a quad one win for Drake, and, it, and it's not a bad loss for Loyola either. So it really just couldn't have went any better. But going into the weekend, Drake was hit with terrible news, actually. So their star, their leading scorer, Shanquan Hemphill, was or it, they announced that he was undergoing foot surgery and that he will miss the next month. So when that was announced, I believe that was February 12th, one month from then, obviously being uh, March March 12th, March 13th or so, it puts it it puts it real close to on if he'll be if he'll be back for the NCAA tournament. But I mean, worries just beyond if he'd be back for the tournament is if Drake can get to the tournament. Obviously, they got to get there for him to be able to play in it. And so it, that was hard for Drake and for them to overcome the loss of their star player and be able to pick up a win and come come from behind win against a really really good Loyola team was really impressive and spoke a lot about this Drake team. I, I have a few takeaways from this weekend series. I would say the fir- first of all, despite a split. I think the nation realized, and I, I definitely believe, that Loyola Chicago is the best team in the Missouri Valley Conference, and that they're a legitimate threat in March. This is a better team than the Final Four team that Loyola Chicago had in, in 2018. It, it's a top 10 Ken Palm team. Think about that. Loyola Chicago is number 10 in Ken Palm right now. And and you know who the number one defense in the country is? Yeah, everyone talks about you know how great Baylor's defense is, how great Tennessee's defense is. Loyola Chicago is the number one rated defense in the country. That is amazing. That is that that is crazy. And in looking at Sunday's game, so Loyola Chicago, like I said, they dominated the first game. Their defense won out. They allowed 54 points. Classic Loyola Chicago game. And then on Sunday they lost 51 to 50. And and this is a game where they were up 10. They were up 10 with, I believe, it was eight minutes left or so in this game. And if it weren't for six turnovers down the stretch of Sunday's game, Loyola would have come away with a 2-0 weekend. And in, in coming away with a 2-0 weekend would have put them in really, really good position for an at-large bid. I still think that they're in great position for that, but it would have put them in great position. But the computers really do love them this year, which will help them a lot in the committee's eyes. But the 19 turnovers that they committed on Sunday were eight over Loyola's season average. I'm not positive that this was the season high, as I, I can't, I didn't fact check that, but I believe this was a Loyola Chicago season high turnover total. But the fact is, Loyola, like I said, number one rated defense. This is just a phenomenal defensive team. They turn you over a lot, and and they just really do a great job at playing t- team defense. I mean, you can just see like the connectedness of these guys out there. They play on a string. They help. Like sometimes. Teams are great helping, but they overhelp. This team does not have that. They have great perimeter defenders, great on-ball defenders, but Crutwig is also great. Uh, like, like you might see some of these smaller schools being maybe a little bit outmanned down low. Cameron Crutwig's not going to be outmanned down low come March. 
this guy was on the Final Four team. This guy played on the Final Four team. He has experience, and this guy is for real. He's a complete big man. He's a scorer, very good rebounder, and he's a great passer down low as well. So I really like the well-roundedness of this Loyola Chicago team. It, like at Crutwig, Crutwig is just per, he's perfect for a team and he's perfect for this team like like he has the intangibles that Biggs have you know he has great hands great touch around the rim I, I think what is is so underrated and what people don't necessarily talk about for big for big men is their ability to pass out of double teams and their ability to not you know be a liability to turn the ball over if teams start putting pressure on the bigs when you throw it into them Crutwig uh, is a great passer in fact he has over 300 assists on his career, which is phenomenal for a big man. And he he just he's a complete he's a complete player. Like he doesn't necessarily have an outside game, but for being a true post, for being a true big, he has all the intangibles and he is a complete big. And he is great for this loyal Chicago team. He's the leader of the team. He's a voice of the team. I'm not taking away anything from Drake because they also picked up a win this weekend. Drake's a good team. They have lots of shooters on the outside. They don't necessarily take a lot of threes. They're more of a driving team, but they do have reliable shooters on the outside. And you got to credit them. I mean, they were the team that forced the turnovers. They put pressure on Loyola. This is a team that likes to put a full court pressure on you for a lot of the game. And and their ability to force turnovers Sunday was ultimately a huge factor and maybe the number one reason why they ended up having the comeback win. I think I think any like taking away anything from this from this weekend and from uh, the two games between these two teams, where that both teams are deserving of NCAA tournament bid. I think Drake's deserving an NCAA tournament bid. It, it really spoke volumes of this team for, to have that next man up mentality. You lose Hemphill and you're playing. You know, like about 24 hours later after it, the team might be a little down, and they might be a little distraught at the news. You know, losing your best player, your uh, I believe the leading rebounder as well, leading scorer, but still finding a way to win one of the games, and, and also coming off a 27 point loss, that might be hard to get up for the next game. You're probably pretty dang discouraged. This team still found a way, so credit to Drake. They're a very good basketball team. I just think Loyola Chicago is a really, really good basketball team, and I think they're very capable of winning multiple games in March with a defense like that with uh, an offense too that is very good it's not an elite offense like like their defenses but this is still a really good offense with options on the outside and inside with Crutwig so I, I think Loyal is extremely dangerous in March I'm not necessarily sure what they're going to be seeded or where Lenardi's guessing them at right now but I, I'm pretty sure no matter where they're going to be they're probably going to be under and I would not want to be matched up with Loyola Chicago in the first round or maybe have them as the team you have to play in the second game of the NCAA tournament just a reminder, you are currently listening to Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel. My next topic today is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. You might say, yeah, of course, Gonzaga is a great team. What's necessarily talk about them? They're dominating the WCC, running through it as expected. All very, very true. Saturday night, they've dominated San Francisco 100-61. If you remember, San Francisco beat Virginia earlier this year. So but that's being worth San Francisco still a top 100 Ken Palm team. Not necessarily saying they're a great team, NCAA tournament team. They're still a good team. Gonzaga beat them by 39 in a game that was never close. With this win, Gonzaga is now top five in both offense and defense on Ken Palm. 
And and what I'm about to say is 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 why I'm talking about Gonzaga. Gonzaga made history Saturday night. Or at least they're in the process of making history. With that game, they're now plus 37.69 in adjusted efficiency margin on Ken Palm. You might say, what's that mean, Wes? I don't know what that means. Okay, so basically the adjusted efficiency margin is the number that uh, actually ranks the team. This is the number that uh, Ken Palm spits out to ultimately be how he how, how the teams rank on Ken Palm. Like all the factors pour into this adjusted efficiency margin. And what it does is it represents the number of points the team would be expected to outscore the average Division One team over 100 possessions. So basically this says Gonzaga would uh, would outscore the average Division One team over a course of 100 possessions by about 38 points. With this number, it, it now means that in the 20 seasons of Ken Pomeroy uh, having his rankings, uh, having his metrics out, no team at the end of the year has had a higher efficiency margin than 36 point, than plus 36.91, which would, would be the 2015 Kentucky team, which, by the way, didn't even win a championship that year, the the 38 and 0 Kentucky team that lost in the final four to go 38 and one. But if the season were to end today and Gonzaga had a 37.69 adjusted efficiency margin, that means in the past 20 years, Gonzaga is the best college basketball team, according to Ken Palm. And you might think Ken Palm's metrics are full of crap, or you, you might not really care what they say. Like who cares? They're just computer, computer generated numbers. You know, we care about the eye test. Uh, Ken Palm is actually looked at as a very reliable uh, metric. Uh, the NCAA tournament committee actually uses it. It's on their team sheet. It's on their evaluation of teams. You know what are they ranked on Ken Palm? It, it, Ken Palm has gained a lot of credibility over the years and is probably the most trusted, the most used computer uh, metric out there. So Gonzaga doing this is history, and it's it's pretty remarkable what they're doing. It. it in my opinion, like Gonzaga won't have three first-team All-Americans, but you can certainly make a case for Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, and Jalen Suggs all to be first-team All-Americans. Now, like I said, this won't ever happen. I do think Gonzaga will get two first-team All-Americans and three All-Americans, you know, second, third team. But, like, this team is just elite and historically good. And, and you got to remember, like, they're actually... You know, people talk about Baylor necessarily being really good defensively. Gonzaga is now 0.1 uh, efficiency number behind Baylor on Ken Palm. They're they're really close to passing Baylor in defensive efficiency, which is which is really just crazy to think about. Uh, lately, Gonzaga has just been playing a lot better defensively. They've really been upping their numbers, and again, you might not really care because they're going through the WCC. That's fair. A good argument. As I've said in my, as I said in my previous podcast, is Gonzaga not necessarily being tournament ready? I think that's true. I think that actually, there's there's definitely some truth to that. But this team is is playing incredible basketball, and if their efficiency number stays in the 37s, then Gonzaga will make history, and you can make the case that it's been the best college basketball team over the course of 20 years. But obviously, you got to press pause on that. It doesn't mean anything until you necessarily you, you got to win it. You got to win championship. So, like, Kentucky in 2015 might have the highest metric, but people aren't necessarily going to say they're the greatest college basketball team over the past 20 years because they don't even have a banner to, uh, to speak of. 
Next up, I just want to go over uh, a few, a list of notable results from this past week. It's hard to get into everything in depth, so let's uh, get right into this. Some some notable results here. So first first thing I want to talk about is West Virginia. West Virginia beat Texas Tech 82-71 on Tuesday night, which meant that they swept Texas Tech on the year. It was a remarkable win on Tuesday. They didn't have Tash Sherman in this game, and uh, Sean McNeil was just exceptional in this game. Phenomenal. And then on Saturday, they lost in double overtime to Oklahoma. Uh, it was just a thriller. It was, it was a crazy game, really good college game. And it, West Virginia is just, they, they can continue to improve offensively. Obviously, the loss to Oklahoma hurts, but West Virginia is, is, is a heck of a basketball team. And this is probably one of Huggins' best offensive teams that he's ever had. In fact, maybe the best offensive team he's ever had. It's up there for sure. But on the flip side, like I said, they lost Oklahoma. I mean, this was a huge win for Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma's looked at as the hottest team there. And, and Oklahoma lost to Texas Tech. Snapped their win streak, and people kind of stopped talking about them a little bit. But they got the nation talking about them again on Saturday because that was just a remarkable win. Austin Reeves is just a... He's a do-it-all guard for them. He rebounds, he he playmakes, and he makes shots. He's just terrific in ball screens. Like he's not the quickest guy out there, but he just plays at his own pace, and he's 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 just a magician. Great in ball screens. So, uh, big results there. The next team I want to talk about is Ohio State. Ohio State won at Maryland, seventy-three sixty-five, and then on Saturday they dominated IU at home, seventy-eight to fifty-nine. Not necessarily that they had a huge game. Uh, Maryland's good. IU's good. Neither of them are ranked. Both good teams. But Ohio State just continues to look like a one seed. And, and the committee had them as a one seed, as I said earlier in the podcast. But this team is really, really improving defensively. That was the knock on them for a while. But they're, they're playing one. They're playing terrifically defensively right now. They On Saturday in particular, they really turned defense into offense for them. And everyone knows how good this team is offensively. You lead offensively. So Ohio State just playing great basketball right now. Next team, Iowa. Iowa had a huge bounce back week. Iowa they beat Rutgers seventy nine to sixty six and they dominated Michigan State eighty eight to fifty eight, which was Izzo's largest home loss in in his tenure at Michigan State. Uh, people were kind of worried about Iowa. They lost four or five games there. And as I said in my previous podcast, don't worry just yet. They've been missing C.J. Frederick. He's a huge loss. He played in the Rutgers game, and although he actually didn't score a point in that game, but when he was on the floor, Iowa operated at a much higher level offensively, and and he had a, he had a few key assists in the game. He had three assists and some key moments too in the second half. But they're a much better team with Frederick. It really helps their spacing, and it really helps Luka Garza down low to have more room to operate. And then against Michigan State, Frederick actually didn't play in that game again. But Michigan State, uh, Iowa just torched them. It, it, Joe Wieskamp was phenomenal in that game. Wieskamp is probably one of the more underrated players in the country. Everyone talks about guards on the team. People talk about Bohannon, probably second most on the Iowa team. Wieskamp is one of the best wings in the country. Really good. Yeah, he's good on both ends. He's just he's a high IQ guy with uh, a great scoring ability. So. A uh, little shout to Joe Wieskamp there. Next team, Arkansas. Arkansas is looking like a top 25 team right now. They're really rolling. They won two nail-biter games this week, two road games at Kentucky and at Missouri. They beat Kentucky by one earlier in the week in, a, in just a crazy game. 
uh, in a game where they ended up winning the game on free throws, and then they won at Missouri in overtime. Uh, so uh, Arkansas was missing Justin Smith uh, like early January for a little bit, and it just wasn't quite the same team. He really helps. Like Vanover is good, and he and he's a mismatch for people, but he's not necessarily. He's he's pretty poor in pick and rolls. Uh, he he's not good in ball screens. He he can shoot, but he's not necessarily a great defensive rebounder. He can alter shots, which is something he's good at. But defensively, he does hurt them a little bit. Justin Smith, uh, really versatile guy who's good defensively, good offensively. Uh, scores and rebounds and he's just he's that he's kind of like that undersized guy that can you know he can guard smaller guys but he can also guard bigger guys so he's super valuable to Arkansas with Justin Smith in the lineup this Razorback team is much better another SEC team to take note on Tennessee I have said if you've been if you've listened to my podcast this whole year you've known how high I've been on Tennessee at times and just how they you know just take everything out of me when I start talking good about them then they have one of their poor offensive performances we saw that again this week and on Saturday so they had two really good offensive games in a row uh, at Kentucky they they scored in the 80s in that game and then earlier this week they beat Georgia 89 to 81 Keon Johnson Jaden Springer were really getting going offensively and then on Saturday they play LSU and it's just a typical Tennessee game they're they're getting open looks but they're just not making open looks. They lost 78-65 to LSU. And I said earlier, they're competing with Creighton to being the most inconsistent team in the country. It's a battle between those teams. They're really fighting hard to, to win that most inconsistent team title this year. Both teams extremely capable. Both teams extremely susceptible to an upset. So Tennessee all over the place right now. See if they can get a little bit of consistency going into March here. Uh, Kansas. Kansas had a good week. Kansas beat Oklahoma State 78-66 on Monday night. A big win for them. Oklahoma State was ranked this week, so they picked up a ranked win there. And then they actually played Iowa State on Thursday and Saturday and swept them in those two games. Saturday's being a little bit closer. They really blew them out on Thursday. So good confidence boost for the Jayhawks this week. Next team, another blue blood, Duke. So Tuesday, Duke was up uh, 17, I believe, to Notre Dame really in the first half, and they end up losing to Notre Dame, 93-89. to Really a heartbreaker. It made Duke fall below 500 at 7-8. and And then on Saturday, we saw them beat NC State on the road, 69-53, a game where they, they led the whole way, and they led comfortably the whole way. Uh, you know, Duke obviously is not in the NCAA tournament picture right now. They would not be in the field if the tournament started today. I think Duke is probably one of the more dangerous teams in the country that isn't in the NCAA tournament right now. And I'm not just saying that because their name's Duke. This is a really good offensive team. And they played phenomenally offensively against Notre Dame and North Carolina in back-to-back losses, but their defense let them down in both games. On Saturday against NC State, we saw their defense hold them to 53 points and play a lot better on that end. If Duke can continue to play consistent defense, this is an NCAA tournament team. They have, they're a threat to win the ACC tournament and get... Get an auto bid in that. Next, Alabama beat Georgia 115 to 82. Uh, it, there's really not a ton to say. I, I picked this game out due to the fact that Alabama, when they're at their best, oh wow, are they so dangerous? They hit 23 threes in a game earlier this year. They hit 18 threes in this one against Georgia. When Alabama is shooting the ball well, everyone is clicking. It's kind of like once one guy gets going, everyone gets going. This Alabama team is extremely dangerous. They, they have their spells where they don't shoot the ball 
great and that's kind of a that could be a knock on Alabama is you know they rely too heavily on the three-point ball but when they're going they're really really going and the last team I want to talk about is Virginia Virginia picked up two wins this week over both Georgia Tech and North Carolina the win against North Carolina was very impressive on Saturday they won 60 to 48 a game where they they just really dominated Carolina especially on the defensive end they really didn't give Carolina many good looks at all and it was it was a classic Virginia game where they muddied it up, they controlled the tempo, and they just make every single possession in the half court and make it extremely tough on you. And Carolina did not respond well to that. With that being said, I'm going to move on to my Instagram follower questions. So like I said earlier in the podcast, if you want to follow me on Instagram at chmpod, uh, you can ask questions. I'll post it on my story probably about Sunday morning every week, and you can ask some questions for me to answer on this on this week's podcast. I like at the end of the podcast to answer some follower questions. So here we go. Let's get right into it. The first question that I will answer today came from Brendan underscore Blosser who asked, can Indiana still make the tourney? So Indiana obviously being headlined by their two big wins over Iowa right now, but they still have a losing record in the Big Ten and an 11-9 and record overall. So we saw them kind of get knocked around by Ohio State on Saturday. There's really no shame in that. They're, Ohio State's playing as good, as good a basketball as, as really anybody in the country right now. And then earlier this week, they won a double overtime game over Northwestern, a game that was probably closer than it should have been. But Indiana still, I mean, the computers, you know, the computers think they're pretty good. They are 7-8 and eight in quad one and quad two games combined. They have one loss in quad three. I think if the tournament started today, Indiana would be in the tournament. They can't afford to keep losing games, and and they have a pretty tough remaining schedule. They have Minnesota, Michigan State, at Rutgers, Michigan, and at Purdue. So those last three in particular, very tough. And I think if IU can uh, maybe win three of the remaining five games, it puts them in, in a pretty good spot uh, going into the Big Ten tournament to make the big dance. So can Indiana still make the tournament? Yes, and I think Indiana will make the tournament. The next question I was I was asked was from Conrad Brenniger, who asked, how far do you see Iowa going in the tourney, and what can they improve on? So it's kind of hard to say necessarily where I think a team will go because obviously matchups matter and stuff like that. I think Iowa obviously has Final Four potential. Their potential is through the roof just because of how gifted they are offensively. I think it's key to get a healthy C.J. Frederick. See, like, without Frederick or without Wieskamp or without Bohannon, those three lethal shooters on the perimeter, it really hurts Iowa a lot. It doesn't necessarily, or it doesn't just hurt their shooting on the outside, their perimeter play, but it also affects Luke guards on the inside. Uh, teams can help help off a little more because, I mean, Keegan Murray, Keegan Murray can shoot the ball a little bit, but he's not C.J. Frederick on the outside. Uh, same with, like, Joe Toussaint would be getting a little bit more minutes if that's the case. Guys like that do who just aren't as lethal from the outside. So surrounding Garza with as many shooters as possible is huge. It helps with the spacing tremendously. I, I think it's safe to say Iowa uh, can definitely make the Final Four. I would say if I had to say right now, I think I'd probably place them in the lead eight around there right now. What can they improve on? Uh, I think it's pretty clear. It's, it's defense for them. They, they get... They get a little out of sync on that end at times. It's they're, I believe they're, yeah, they're 109 in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm right now. It, that that's a little ridiculous. Like they're the number one offensive team in the country. People got to remember that. As good as Gonzaga is offensively, Iowa still holds that title as the number one most efficient offense in the country. It's just how abysmal they are defensively. 
outside of the top 100. That's something they definitely need to improve on. If they don't improve on that, no, it makes them a really tough team to predict in March just because of uh, it. You just don't know what to expect because if they don't shoot the ball, it it definitely makes them susceptible to an upset. To you know, it they're they could get out before the second weekend. So Iowa definitely needs to improve on the defensive end. Next question: C dot Mac twenty seven asked underdog teams to win their conference tournament so i said earlier in the podcast i think duke has a real real shot to win the acc tournament uh i'm just gonna look at the big conferences here i i think they have a real shot i I don't necessarily see a big 10 team having a great shot to go on a big run outside i just think somebody in the top four is very likely to win the big 10 tournament um in the sec i think kentucky would would have a shot to do that um, in the Big 12, if it's not Baylor, I would probably pick Texas, but that's not necessarily somebody who'd be super surprising. But my main uh, pick right now would be Duke. And I think if a, if a conference has somebody who maybe goes under the radar and wins their conference tournament, I think it happens in the ACC just because they don't have a great team. I could see Duke doing it. I could see Notre Dame doing it. I could see Georgia Tech doing it. I think someone in the ACC could go under the radar and make a and make a tournament run and get the auto bid in the ACC. My next question comes from B Timberlake underscore twenty four, who asked, "Do I think Kentucky can win out?" And so I was looking at Kentucky's schedule, and I think it's definitely possible for Kentucky to win out. Their remaining games are Vanderbilt, Tennessee, A and M, Florida, Ole Miss. The truth is, I don't really, like. I think Alabama's the best team in the SEC. And I don't think there's just a world of difference between Kentucky and Alabama. Uh, Kentucky has been in so many close games. They have the, they just need to get over that edge, and it was big for them to do it against Auburn. They almost blew it, but they held on. That was big. They couldn't do it against Arkansas earlier in the week. But I think Kentucky definitely has the ability to win out. I think they're, they're, a, they're a team that could possibly make some noise in their conference tournament. My next question comes from Jeff Moore 18 who asked, Does Notre Dame have a chance to make the tourney? So Notre Dame's currently sitting at nine and ten. They beat Miami tonight. The I think Notre Dame. They're another team who hasn't been able to get over the edge. They haven't beaten a ranked team in like tw- the, their last twenty eight tries, which which is crazy. They're sitting at nine and ten, and what they have going for them is they do have a, a borderline top ten strength of schedule. So that's huge for them. I think if Notre Dame, they they're winners of six of their last eight. If they can go, so they have six remaining games. If they win four of those, it puts them in position to at least have a shot to be in the conversation. I, I think they're they're not too far from being in that bubble picture. C underscore Knights 903 asked, how far will Virginia make it in the tournament? I think Virginia, I like that they have balance on both ends, uh, on offense and defense this year. Last year, obviously no tournament but they were great defensively but just so horrible offensively this is a complete basketball team I think that what makes them really dangerous is that their shooting comes from guys that are six eight and taller in Sam Hauser Trey Murphy and Jay Huff it makes them really difficult to guard in their uh mover blocker offense because they have Huff and Hauser out there setting screens and you're worried chasing those guards around the screens but then you have those guys who can both pop and you know dive in and get get buckets inside and outside. So it makes them really tough to defend. I think Virginia has final four potential. Uh, my next question comes from Ned Tower eighteen, who asked top ten current coaches. So I don't have this in any order. 
I just rattled off 10 coaches that I think are the top 10 right now with uh, also a few honorable mentions. So here it goes. I have Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, Bill Self, Tom Izzo, Jay Wright, Tony Bennett, Chris Beard, Bob Huggins, John Calipari, and Mark Few is my top 10. Obviously, you're splitting hairs with some of those guys, so I did an honorable mention of guys that were, you know, definitely could make a case for in Jim Beheim, Chris Holtman, Rick Barnes, Matt Painter, and Mike Beret. And the last question that I will be answering today comes from L. Jags underscore, who said he's a Wisconsin fan and he feels that they can't win a big game. Is that a reasonable thought to have? So that's definitely fair to believe that. I think Wisconsin's major problem is it, like they just outside of Demetra Trice, they don't really have anybody who can get dribble penetration. Davison has has regressed a bit from previous years. He's kind of been Davison was kind of looked at as like their leader. Uh, he's been far from that this year. He's been pretty quiet, having a quiet senior season. Reavers also has not been as good as what people may have hoped for. They might they've been getting better production from guys like Jonathan Davis and Tyler Wall this year. Uh, but they they need Reavers, they need Davison to start playing good basketball. And today against Michigan, Micah Potter and Nate Reavers combined for zero rebounds. That is a number they cannot have going forward. Those guys both should be you know grabbing close to ten rebounds each game. Uh, I think Wisconsin when they make shots are obviously a really good team, and they've seen and we've seen them play really good basketball at times this year. It's a really experienced team, but. Uh, Wisconsin's probably just not as good as what people think. Wisconsin's still a good basketball team, but they're just not as good as what people think. What what kind of happens is teams return their whole starter, starting lineup, their whole roster, you know, and people just automatically make the assumption, oh, this team is going to be really, really good. And sometimes you just go from being a good team to just staying a good team. I mean, you still have the personnel. Sometimes you just see that Wisconsin's still a good team. Maybe their expectations were just a little too high. And, and so, yeah, I think I think Wisconsin's good, just not great. And my closing segment, I want to pick a few games for this upcoming week. The first game, Monday night, 7 o'clock, Virginia at Florida State, big ACC game. Uh, in my opinion, the top two teams in the ACC. We saw Virginia pick up the big win Saturday over Carolina, and Florida State win a close overtime game against Wake Forest. I really do like Florida State, and I think they're one of the tougher teams to match up with in the conference and in the country. Really tough team to match up with, but I think Virginia's size and their versatility is enough to match up with this Florida State team. I'll pick Virginia to win on the road in Tallahassee Monday night. The next game I want to pick is Texas at Oklahoma, Tuesday at 9 o'clock. Part 2 of the Red Red River rivalry this year. Oklahoma won Part 1. Texas was missing a few guys in that game. Missing Jericho Sims and Courtney Ramey, I believe, in that game. Oklahoma coming off of the big win Saturday. Oklahoma is definitely playing better basketball right now than Texas. I just don't think Texas is going to get swept by Oklahoma this year. I think Texas, uh, when when Texas is at their best, I think Texas is the second best team in the Big 12. So I think Texas is going to start uh, playing better basketball again and win a big road game Tuesday night. The next game Saturday at 2 o'clock, Texas Tech at Kansas. Kansas uh, had a bounce-back week going 3-0. and And Texas Tech hasn't played since the loss to West Virginia uh, about a week ago. So this is a hard game to pick because I do think Texas Tech's a better team than Kansas. But because it is in Fog Allen, I will pick Kansas to win this game. 
another Saturday game in the Big 12, West Virginia at Texas, uh, 3 o'clock Eastern time Saturday. So I picked Texas to beat Oklahoma earlier in the week. I'm going to say Texas has a big 2-0 week and beats West Virginia as well on Saturday. Uh, ACC matchup, Saturday, 8 o'clock, Virginia at Duke. I, I mentioned how I think Duke's dangerous if they continue to play but well on the defensive end. Uh, I think that they can they can make a run for, for the NCAA tournament still. But uh, th- this young backcourt, playing against Virginia who's going to slow it down uh, I just don't trust Duke's young backcourt to be able to score in the half court consistently on Virginia and Virginia also has a lot of size where Duke kind of lacks that although they've been playing a little bit more with Mark Williams here I will pick Virginia to beat Duke on Saturday and the last game I'm going to pick and it's the best game of the whole week Sunday afternoon one o'clock on CBS Michigan at Ohio State it's going to be a top four matchup it'll be number three versus number four one of the better matchups of the whole regular season and in Michigan ha- uh, has yet to play the top uh, the top part of the Big Ten they haven't played Ohio State they haven't played Illinois and they haven't played Iowa so this is their first test of playing one of those teams it's in Columbus Ohio State's playing great basketball Michigan just came off pause and won a big road win at Wisconsin, as I discussed. But despite that, I will pick Ohio State to beat Michigan at home. Uh, It's really splitting hairs with these two teams. I think they're the top two teams in the Big Ten. Uh, Michigan, really, really good defensive team, complete basketball team. Ohio State, superb on the offensive end. I just think Ohio State is really clicking offensively right now, and they've been playing so efficiently night to night. And they and on Saturday they just showed great improvements defensively. They were turning defense into offense against IU. So I'll pick Ohio State to beat Michigan and pick up a huge top five win. With that being said, that'll be the conclusion of this College Hoops Mania episode. I really appreciate you guys listening. Uh, it's going to be a really good week in college basketball again as we're closing in on March, just about uh, 15 days or so, a couple two weeks until. Until we hit March 1st, we'll be getting conference tournaments, and you know we just missed that tournament, that tournament play that we that we missed from last year. So I really appreciate you guys listening. I'll be back with you guys in another week, and I'll see ya.